Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 22 of Swimming Upstream and mine and Daniel's sixth weekly recap of the Miami Marlins minor league system, in which we go level by level, highlighting the happenings around each team, pointing out a top of our a few of our top performers at each affiliate, and then we take your questions as always. But first of all, joining me as always is my partner, Daniel DeVivo. Daniel, what's up, man? Thanks so much for coming on again, as always. What's going on in Colombia? Hey, Alex. Um, Colombia is everything's good here. Um, pandemic still hitting pretty hard, uh, but hopefully we're uh, at the end of this tough peak. Um, but excited, excited as always to, to be discussing our, our, our farm, farm system. Um, this was a tough week. Um, as tough as I think we've had this year for, for our prospects in terms of yeah. results. And um, there were definitely players who did well but there wasn't much to choose from. I don't know if you noticed as well. When, when researching standout guys, as we normally do, yeah. in previous weeks, I'm normally struggling to choose between five players right. <laughs> at each level. This week was unfortunately pretty easy to choose. Yeah, definitely agree. Like last time we talked, I think we talked about it. The Marlins were losing like every game and there was a lot of winning going on in the minors. I think we mentioned it at the beginning <laughs> of the show. Like if you want to see winning baseball, watch the minors, but it's kind of, that script is kind of flipped, but I guess the good news there could be that, yeah, you know, we're not winning games in the minors, but that's kind of secondary to development. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you can, you can kind of say players want to win games. Like I said last time, but you know, we, we look at the development first and foremost, but at the big league level, Daniel, um, Marlins a little better lately. Um, you know, Definitely better than they were doing. We know they had Miggy yeah, back they, on the bench a lot, right? Um, exactly, that, that helps. Him, yeah, definitely gave him a boost. I wrote about that on the website. So yeah, since last time we talked a little bit more to like from from the Marlins. Um, yeah, so uh, good to see there. Um, obviously, that's that's the top level. That's where you want to see the games being won and everything coming to fruition for our prospects. Uh, but yeah, uh, good good for the Marlins. Not not great for for our, our minor league guys in terms of wins. <laughs> Agreed. I uh, wanted to get to a couple topics on the big league front, and we're going to do it quickly because obviously that's not the premise of our show. But since these are hot topics and we're hearing about them, I'm getting DMs about them. I'm sure you are too, Daniel. Um, just just, just to touch quickly on, on a couple of the, 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 the hot topics at the big league level. And the, the first is Starling Marte. Um, obviously, we know what he's doing. Five-tool player, probably one of the best to ever play baseball in a Miami Marlins uniform. I think personally, he's one of the most underrated players in the league. And if he were to have played anywhere except for Pittsburgh or Miami, he'd probably be getting that attention as one of those, those big time guys. That's, that's right up there, you know, gets a ton of attention, names and lights, stuff like that. So yeah, definitely great to have him on the Marlins, but the question is, do they keep him on the Marlins? And that's the question that we've been getting, you know, with all we have coming in the outfield, do the Marlins try to extend Starling Marte? I personally think that they should. I think they should try to get him on a two-year deal. You love what he said to Craig Miss recently that he wants to be in Miami. And that kind of struck me a little bit. Because to me, this guy, right, he's what, 32, 33 years old. He's not old. You know, he's definitely got a couple years left. I, if I'm him, man, I, I want to go to a winning team and try to get to, at least to the playoffs to maybe get to a World Series, you know, make that mark. Because that's what players want to do from the time that they're children. But to hear him say that he wants to stay here, that's big, man. And if the Marlins can keep him here, I think the Bladets and Burdicks of the world are at least two years away. Connor Scott, two years away at least. So if they can get him on a two-year deal, they have to do it, man. That's what I think. What are your feelings on Marte? Marte is amazing. Um, I think this is the first real test for ownership mm -hmm. in terms of what everybody's been doubting, right? You know, the, the non-believers say, 
yeah, I mean, we, it's going to be the same story as always, you know, we're, we're a cheap team who will let our best players go. So this is a big test and (laughs) Starling Marte in theory, just made it a bit harder Mm. by saying that he wants to stay. So now if they don't want to, don't want to cough up the money, now it's clearly on them, you know, because the player is saying he wants to stay. So I have no idea right now how that is going to end. Um, the Craig Mish theory of they're, they're not going to trade him. Um, they're going to offer the qualifying, uh, quali- qualifying offer um, and probably lose him at the end. Sounds pretty reasonable. I mean, that sounds like what's going to happen. Um, what I want to see is the Marlins make an honest attempt to keep him whether it's now, which is what I would recommend, right? Uh, Now that he's not negotiating with any other team, whether it's now um, or when he's a free agent, I like to see them give him a a solid, respectable offer. You know, if he just, if if he, for whatever reason, is looking for something outrageous, then fine. Uh, Use that money invested in several other players or in other, one other big player. Um, but if he's saying he wants to say, I'm not saying he's going to take a discount, you know, he's going to take a, he's going to be easy with the Marlins, but if he's, I mean, he's, he's, um, he's playing ball. So that's, that's what I personally like to see. I like to see the Marlins offer him a reasonable deal. I'd, I'd be surprised if he goes two years because this is his last contract. Um, I assume he's going to be wanting four or five and teams are going to be offering three. Um, so like a three-year deal sounds reasonable. Sounds like a, like a good idea. Probably be very productive the first two, not so much in the third, in the third year. But for me, you know, the big thing here is we don't really have any center field prospects. You know, we have a lot of outfield prospects, but we don't have any center field, pure center fielders, um, prospects who are ready, except, you know, he's not ready, but the only one has that that's actually really close here is Monte. Um, but we just can't compare those two players. So, I mean, this is it, you know, they, they just have to do anything in their power to, to keep Marte if they really are serious about winnings. And I, I am, I do believe them. I do believe that they are, um, especially starting next year. Yeah. Definitely agree. I, I think, as I said, if you, if you can get it done and if he wants to be here, you, you have to do it because the, the outfield depth that we have is, is great. We'll obviously talk about it. We talk about it all the time, but it's at least two to maybe even three years away. So yeah, you get him on a two to three year deal, man, you, I think you have to do it. Uh, all right, we'll move on. The only other thing I wanted to get to, and we'll, we'll also do it quickly because I've, I've kind of beaten this into the ground, but it continues to happen. And um, quite frankly, it, um, it perturbs me. To put it to put it politely, nice word. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I was trying to be as polite as possible, but <laughs> yeah, th- this strategy that the Marlins have—maybe not even a strategy, but just this 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 um, habit that the Marlins are falling into in terms of player movement, where they're calling up these these top prospects, these young kids, and sitting them on the bench. Listen, I, I know, I understand that they had a lot of forty-man traffic. You know, you can't just be waving and DFA DFA and guys left and right. Of course, I get it. And, you know, maybe in a pinch, you have to call up Lewin Diaz. You have to call up Jose Devers. But, man, when guys get healthy, send them back. These kids need to be playing regular games. And now that the Marlins are on the men, man, I mean, you hear Kim Ang talk about the other day, um, you know, Garrett Cooper goes goes down with an injury. 
I really didn't want to call up uh, Lewin Diaz. I wanted to see him get his regular at-bats. Did she need to call up Lewin Diaz? I don't think so. I don't really don't think she did. The Marlins have a bunch of guys that can fill in uh, for Jesus Aguilar when he has a day off, you know, or, or whatever it is that, that can fill in at first base. Adam Duvall, John Birdie, Corey Dickerson can do it. They don't need to have Lewin Diaz on the team right now, you know, when he should be getting those regular minor league reps. It's good for, for Lewin, as we mentioned off the air, Daniel, that he's now making a major league salary. That's awesome. And he's getting to be around his big league teammates. That's great. I definitely think that, you know, he will gain something from that. But there's no substitute for those regular at-bats, especially when you're still a developing minor league player and you're a top prospect. So, man, some of these moves I, I've, I've really disliked, you know, when, when Isan came back, when Jazz was healthy, Miggy, you know, when those guys are healthy, send down Jose Devers. You know, you really don't need to have Lewin here, as I just mentioned. So just, you see Jose Devers go down with an injury too, which, which is unfortunate. So just your thoughts on, on these, these moves, you know, sacrificing the development of these top prospects to sit on the bench. I'm with you. Uh, I don't understand them. You know, sometimes the team, the, the team is conservative with their prospects as a Sanchez, you know, what is he still doing in AAA? And, you know, makes you think, Hey, are they really trying to win right now? But then they turn around and, and then bring Lewin Diaz up, you know, because apparently they need him to win. So what's the strategy here? Are we protecting the prospects or not? <clears throat> That's, that's the question. Um, Lewin Diaz is getting in at bat every two days. He should have gotten at bat yesterday. That's in the seventh inning, yeah. but you know, it was, <laughs> it was chosen to have Curtis there. I'm assuming they were expecting they were going to get one more at bat in the bottom of the ninth in the top of the ninth, mm -hmm. I guess, but <clears throat> didn't end up happening. But the point is we just, you know, we need to choose a strategy here. As you said, Lewin Diaz is not necessary for him to be here. First base can be played by several pre pre players in an emergency spot starts once a week or something. That's all right. You know, Birdie, he's not much of a target at first base, but um, he can definitely play there. Um, now that, I don't know, Marrero's coming up, he can probably also play there mm -hmm. for, you know, once a week in, in it's just not that we're asking them to, to play them there full time, but I prefer that over having Lewin just rotting on the bench. So absolutely agree with you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the Moreros, the, the, uh, you know, Luis Marte, we talked about Bryson Brigman. Those are the guys, these, these lower tier guys, you know, the, the, the not, not the guys that are in the top 10, the top 15. I also wouldn't really like to sacrifice Bryson Brigman because I still, still think he could be a quality player, still 26 years old, but Devin Marrero, Marte, you know, these, these lower level guys, those are the guys that should be coming up to plug holes. You know what I mean? So yeah, not, not sacrificing prospects, you know, development to, to sit on the bench and, and pinch hit. I, I just, I just hate it, man. And, and, and like you said, it was a perfect, perfect opportunity for them with Cooper going down to call up Jesus Sanchez, you know, and when they need a fill in for, for Aguilar, you go to one of those guys that we mentioned, Duval, Birdie, Dickerson was taking reps at, at, at first base in spring training. So, you know, it was doable and you didn't have to have uh Lewin here and you could have had Jesus who definitely belongs here up here, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a weird strategy. I really don't understand what they're doing, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes here in the future. I really hope that, you know, once everybody's back and healthy, at least that, that those guys go back down and finish their development, hopefully. All right. So I think we spent long enough on that. That's the, uh, <laughs> The, uh, the big league team 
Uh, also, by the way, just to mention really quick, Magnary Sierra and Isan Diaz are still sticking around. So that's a factor as well. <laughs> All right, we'll move on. We could, we could spend longer on that, but we won't. Uh, we'll move on. Um, we'll get to our affiliates. Uh, I want to go to Jupiter first. Um, they go two and four. They get beat 19 to three in one game and then lose one to zero in another one. So kind of both ends of the spectrum for them. Uh, they have a negative 17 run differential. Um, some injury issues for them, Daniel. Um, you had Mesa Jr. get pulled from a game came back the day after. So probably just a precaution on that one. The ones that, that, that are concerning to me um, is Edgar Sanchez, who is a reliever, right-handed relief pitcher. Um, this is, was his first stint, I believe in full season ball. It gets a chance with the hammerheads uh, comes up from the, um, the uh, extended spring training site. Uh, awesome to see him get an opportunity, but then he suffers a shoulder injury and the hammerheads are thinking that he's probably going to need surgery for it. That's the word that I've heard. Uh, so yeah, it looks like he's going to miss a lot of time. And then maybe, you know, just as concerning, is Nassim Nunez. Nassim Nunez, Daniel, was pulled on Friday and did not play all weekend. So I don't have anything on that. I'll, I'll try to get a word on, on what's going on. Hopefully he's back in the lineup on, on Tuesday. But yeah, definitely some, some concerns on the injury front for the Jupiter Hammerheads. Uh, we'll get to our guys though, Daniel. I'll let you go first. Um, some guys that, that impressed you for Jupiter this week, if you can pick some. <laughs> it was a rough week. <laughs> it was a rough week. Uh, I don't really have a a hitter here to tell you the truth. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the only player who had a salvageable week offensively was J.D. Orr. I know yeah. you, you, you're talking about him. So I'm, I'm simply going with a pitcher here and you guessed it. It's Eudy. Eudy <laughs> <laughs> Perez. He just continues on his tear. Last week he pitched four innings. He didn't give up any on runs, uh, two unearned, two hits, no walks and eight Ks for the season now, um, 21 innings, a kid has a 0.86 ERA. I'd say that's pretty good. What do you say? Is that good? <laughs> uh, I mean, I've heard somewhere that's pretty decent. So yeah, it's all right. It's just a Grom territory. Um, 11 hits allowed again in 21 innings, five walks, 30 Ks. Um, that's a 0.76 whip and uh 12.86 Ks per nine, which again, they're just both elite 2.04 fielder independent pitching as well I just I you know I can't stress enough how how impressive this is uh, what I'd like to start seeing now is, is is just seeing what happens when he goes deeper into starts the Marlins yeah. are being extremely conservative with him mm -hmm. understandably so you know he's so young if if he shows he can continue to dominate deeper into starts as, as the Marlins challenge him more he'll start showing up in uh in top 100 lists in, in no time i mean he, he, yeah, he has it he has all the tools and he's he has now the results and the body and uh, i mean he just looks so good and um quick mention also of uh, edward cabrera who just humiliated low a in his <laughs> in his rehab assignment three innings eight k's not much more to say than that um just sat high 90s secondaries looked absolutely crisp um, Ian Smith had, had some solid videos if, if you want to watch um, guys the the two hits that he gave up were a ground ball and a bloop I mean I, I hope he's, he's ready for Jacksonville maybe a, a month or so three weeks or so um, playing there and, and and hopefully just getting a call up to the majors I mean I'm, I'm pretty tired about three-man rotation so um, so yeah he looked pretty good that's that's impressive and and um, a very good sign. Yeah, 
Definitely. Uh, on, on Yuri, really quick, um, you mentioned it. You, you want to see him going deep into starts. We, we do know that the Marlins are managing, looks like his innings limit, probably his pitch, his pitch count as well. Uh, but yeah, it looks like they're taking it extremely cautious and you can't blame them. This is an 18 year old kid just starting his career. He's going to spend the entirety of this season with the hammerheads and to see him out to this kind of start and just continuing to throw up zeros and throw up those big K numbers. It, it's, it's huge. I do want to see what he does, you know, third time through the lineup, right? You want to see when he gets to face those same hitters, hitters kind of pick up what he's doing. Obviously it's older hitters because he is the youngest player in minor league baseball. So you want to see how he does when, when guys are getting that second and third look against him more often. I think that's definitely going to be key as, as his season goes on, but man, can't be mad about, about what Yuri has done. And then Edward, like, seriously, <laughs> like just unfair to these, these poor low a kids. <laughs> um, yeah. Just, just dominant up to 98, 99 down to 80, you know, it's just ridiculous stuff. And, just that's he's going to be massive when he gets uh fully healthy and and probably up to to jacksonville i don't even think jacksonville will be able to touch him but we'll see what happens there um i see him with the marlins sometime after probably after the all-star break i would say would you agree daniel yeah i think that's a that's a good uh guess for sure Uh, i'll get to my two daniel you kind of mentioned the, the first one uh jd or just keeps getting on base man on base in all six games this week and in 11 of 12 to start june Five for 18 this week with seven walks. So clearly this guy is seeing single A pitching extremely well, working good quality ABs nearly every time it's up there. Nine steals on the season, four of them coming this week. This guy needs a call up like four weeks ago. Like He should not be with, with the hammerheads, but the problem is where do you put him, right? So yeah, I mean, with all the Marlins having the outfield, you know, he can play all three outfield spots, I'm, I'm pretty sure. But with what they have at the higher levels, you know, Beloit, you can go to, to Jacksonville, you can go to um, to Pensacola, you know, those outfields are, are pretty filled. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I don't think anyone expects or to be like a starting outfielder at the next level. So I, I think at this point you could bring him up to the double A or triple A level and bring him off the bench and or DH him. Uh, either way, I, I think he needs to find his way out of, of single A ball now. Uh, we saw him up in triple A in an emergency role this year and got sent back after like a day. So, you know, how does, how does he stick with, with a, um, with a higher level team? I hate to keep going back to it, Daniel, but Jesus Sanchez, man, I mean, I think when Jesus gets the call, Gerard will probably go up to triple a and, or will probably mm-hmm. go to double a, um, but yeah, on JD, I really like the simplicity in his game. You know, he's that, that singles first hitter with really good speed game disruptor type. Again, a guy that just, that just, uh, you know, he's a menace when he gets on base. Um, so I would I, say, um, regarding your definitely Gerard agreed mm-hmm. but to double a would probably want to be one of the Beloit guys and and JD would go to to Beloit I, I assume I just um, I think he's too old for a ball you man. think he's I ready want to see him I want to see him at the higher levels interesting yeah. I mean I, that's just what I want to see what will they do I mean I mean you could be right I mean they could move one of the younger guys up up from Beloit but Griffin, I mean maybe but this early in the season, man, I th- I think they let those those boy guys gain a little bit more yeah, ground. Yeah, and and he's still striking out, huh? Griffin. Uh, yeah, Griffin. Griffin's still striking. So you may be right. Yeah. What about Johnston? <laughs> man, I move Johnston to double A. <laughs> of course, you know I'm going to talk about him again, but <laughs> he's already been pushed once. You know, I mean, we could talk about it when we get to Beloit, but yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I would see, I would like to see Orr over Johnston, but yeah, we'll we'll it's keep going. Good problem to have. Exactly. <laughs> we'll keep going. Uh, I, that's an interesting conversation to have what they do with, with roster moves and then with what they've done on the big league front, who the hell knows what they're going to do. So yeah, yeah uh, we'll see what they do with player movement, but 
that's that's I guess that's for maybe our next show or maybe the one after. <laughs> uh, I'll get to my my second guy, uh, my pitcher, um, George Soriano. Um, another great outing. He goes five on just two hits and a single earned run, four walks, and ten strikeouts. Daniel, a career high, ten strikeouts. Previous high was seven. Um, another guy like like JD or who who needs to be called up like like two weeks ago. Um, only reason he's in Jupiter is because he was hurt to start the year and started and extended. He's still just 22, so still some time for him despite missing all of 2017. Of course, 2020, and then, of course, the start of this season, which I just said. We talked about him before, Daniel. Good fastball, good slider, good spin rates on both of those pitches. Needs the third pitch development if he's if he's going to stick as a starter. Um, he does have a little bit of one with a changeup, and it has the potential to show some flashes a little bit. You kind of like to see that to be like an average pitch. But currently, per, per some scouting grades that I saw, it's just a 40 grade and maybe up to a 45 in future value, which is usable. But man, for a starting pitcher at the big league level, I mean, I do like his slider. doesn't really have heavy velo. I, I, I think we've said this before. I, I, I see him in, in the bullpen in the future. So I think there is room for him to move up to Beloit pretty quickly. Um, I think he could take the place of Brian Hoeing, who is really struggling with, with the Beloit snappers. He was a reliever mostly in his, in his collegiate career. And then um, in 2019 with, I think, Batavia. So I think they could move him to the pen and give George that spot in their rotation when he's ready to do so. What do you, what do you think about that? I agree, man. Um, and I love, just love that Soriano is is striking out the world. Yeah. You know, he, that's not the kind of pitcher he was, exactly. uh, you know, to begin his career. Yep. And and now he's, he is walking a bit more, mm-hmm. but he's also just striking out and, and, and showing some nastiness that I didn't know he had. So, I mean, he's, he's developing. Um, now he needs to continue, you know, maintain that, that, um, th- those results while reducing the walks. Um, because he's also not getting hit too hard either. Um, 193 average against. So I agree. I mean, he's, he's repeating a level right now. That's, that doesn't make much sense to me. I mean, he did, all right uh, in 2019 for for Clinton, low A, um, but I think I think he, he is ready. Um, and 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 Hoing is, is sounds like the you know a guy who needs to go back to the bullpen. So so absolutely agreed with you, man. Yeah. All right. I think we had a couple questions to get to on, on the Jupiter front. You want to do those now? Yes. Um, that sounds perfect. So let's see. This is from our friend. Um, out at South Florida SO2. Um, he had two questions for us. The first one is MD Johnson has been great this season for the Hammerheads. My only concern is the ridiculous number of walks he gives up each outing. Do you believe that this is the only thing holding him back from being called up to Beloit? Um, the MD Johnson case is, very, is really, really interesting. We talked about him last week and, and how he's dominating, but walking at an incredible rate as well um just um <clears throat> really like his control is, is is crazy but it's not hurting him <clears throat> this week he pitched 5.1 innings and gave up seven walks <laughs> while, while striking out six um allowed one only one run and two hits he needs to find a way to fix his control without sacrificing his stuff something similar to what i just said about soriano but you know with with this guy it's even just you know exponentially um, lineups at a higher level will make you pay if you yeah. walk these many hitters. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe low A is not going to, you know, he, it's fine. He'll he'll leave them on base, but 
high A and double A, not so much. So my answer here is, is yes. Uh, I think this is the main reason for not being promoted yet. They'll want to see him making strides to solve this. The other important reason is that he was just converted to a, to a starting pitcher of, you know, a month ago. He's only been a starter for a month. He, he was a reliever in 2019 at the low A level. So he just, you know, he needs to keep adjusting. I want to see how, how the next month looks like for him. You know, I wanted to see what this week looked. And, and he's, you know, walked more than, than uh, innings pitched. So not, not very promising. So let's, let's continue to monitor, monitor him because every other part of his game looks really good. Um, and, and his other question was, most of the hammerhead hitters have abysmal batting averages this season. Would you attribute that to the new ABS, automatic, automatic balls and strike zone system, or is it just a team-wide slump? Do you, do you believe the ABS has been more beneficial to hitters or pitchers? So for whatever reason, Roger Dean Stadium – it's always been a tough stadium to hit at. You know, it has been at least three seasons where no matter the lineup they put out there, players seem to, to struggle offensively. Um, this league in general has always been a very pitcher friendly. Our hitters are definitely struggling uh, this season. The only player with an OPS higher than 700 is J.D. Orr. Um, Johnson was obviously also very good, but he was promoted. The common denominator for those two is that they're both older, you know, just old for this level. So it does make sense. Um, I wouldn't necessarily attribute it to the new ABS system, but I can't be 100% sure. It would be definitely interesting to ask some of these Jupiter hitters what their opinion is on the matter. My opinion is that I feel it is a bit more beneficial to the pitchers because mostly because of that low strike that really never, ever, ever gets called. Um, especially on breaking balls, you know, catchers will be receiving it almost at the ground and it will be called. Um, but as with everything, hitters will simply need to adjust. So, so yeah, for your question, maybe it is, maybe it is the reason why they're struggling, but I wouldn't think, I wouldn't think it's, it's the main reason. It's just a tough stadium to hit at and, and really young hitters. Yeah, I mean, just just some logistics on on automated balls and strikes. Um, I heard some 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 uh, developments about that and how it's being used. When the last time I was out at a Hammerheads game, I don't know if this has since changed, but it was at least like this to start the year. Um, the whole league was supposed to be using the automated balls and strike system for three games on and three games off in any six game series. That's what they were supposed to do. So now what they're doing because one of the teams, I think Daytona, had a problem with it where they they couldn't get it they couldn't get it um in place or something like that. So I think what they're doing is they're still doing that, but they're not doing it in Daytona. So it's, I think it's still three on and three off with, with, with the, the, the system, but the Daytona Tortugas, I don't think yet are using it. So I guess it's kind of like just something to mention that when we go to Daytona, then they, they probably won't be using it unless this has since changed and they got it installed. I don't know what's going on with that. I guess that would be something to ask, but ju just some, um, just a, a point to mention on that, that the whole league at least wasn't using it to start the year with that one team not having it. So they are doing the, the three on and three off in any given series with that. So it's not being used like every game. That's my point, right? And then one team at least wasn't using it at all. So who does it benefit? I, I think Daniel had it right. It's a pitcher-friendly league and uh, already, <laughs> and now you have this system in place that that's catching all of these close, these close uh, borderline strikes. So yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, um, it's definitely 
uh, pitcher beneficial for sure in an already pitcher friendly league. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's tough on hitters, you know, overall, it's not, it's not just a hammerheads. A lot of these other teams are going through it as well. I mean, the Mets have two of the best prospects in baseball and you know, that, that team's even struggling to hit a little bit. So yeah, the whole league's already hard to hit in and then you put that into play and, and, and there you go. <laughs> so yeah. Um, agree with you there. Um, and then his other one on MD Johnson. Yeah. The guy has to fix that. I mean, he can get away with it in low A, as you said, but he's not going to get away with that. Maybe not even at single A advance. Like hitters are going to make you pay for that. You cannot be walking, you know, six, seven guys in, in five and six innings of work and, and get away with it against upper level guys. So yeah, something for MD to fix. Um, can he stick as a starter? He could. He really needs to figure that out. And then he needs to continue to add his third pitch, which is a change up. Fastball slider is really good. Um, I think I mentioned this on a previous show. I think he's also a future bullpen guy uh, for a big league team. All right. So I think that's, that's it for, for um, hammerheads and we'll go on. We'll go to the Beloit snappers also had a rough week. We'll be saying that a lot about these affiliates. <laughs> they go up against the, um, the Cedar Rapids colonels. They go two and four, a negative 12 run differential. Uh, next up, they'll go back on the road. They'll face the Peoria chiefs of the Cardinal system. So Daniel, we'll get to watch cause they're, they're not at Pullman field. So we'll, we'll get to watch on, on MLB TV. <laughs> Um, haven't gotten to see a lot of them because Pullman field does not have MILB TV. Unfortunately, we will get it when they go into their new stadium, which should happen in August from what we're hearing. Um, so yeah, just quickly on, on Beloit, their pitching has really struggled, Daniel. And this week was no exception. They have a 5.11 team ERA, which is 10th out of 12th in the high A central. So, uh, yeah, just keep that in mind as, as we go through, maybe tough to pick some pitchers, but we're going to try Daniel. You can go first here. Sure. Um, I really only have one standout player from, from last week. Um, and he's not even a hitter or a starter. I mean, it was a tough week. He's a reliever, Evan Brabrand. Um, Brabrand is one of the 2019 reliever, reliever core, but had amazing short seasons um, that year in the lower levels. He had a rocky start to this season at high A, but had a pretty good week. Um, in 3.2 innings pitched, he didn't allow a run and had a, a, a 0.82 whip with three strikeouts. So that's really, you know, it's, it's good to see because he is a good pitcher. He was drafted in the ninth round in, in 2019 um, and pitched for the low A team, which was the Batavia Mud Dogs then, and did really well with 10.71 K per nine, 1.19 whip, 1.29 ERA. Um, he was actually the closer for that. So let's hope he can build off of, of this week and just continue to grow as a pitcher. Because again, that was a, that was a rocky, a rocky start. Um, another guy who was part of that 2019 core, Joey Steele, he did also, he was so bad to begin that he was sent down to, to Jupiter last week. Um, Brabrand was almost as bad, but really saved it last week. So he just needs to continue to just build off it adjust to the league and, and, and grow. Yeah, for sure. Um, that, that 2019, um, Batavia rotate, or I'm sorry, bullpen was, was awesome. You know, you see a little bit of both though. Like, like Daniel said, for, from those guys, a couple of them are succeeding, a couple of them not so much. Um, I mean, I guess that, that tends to happen, uh, to, to bullpen guys at lower levels that, you know, they're playing in short season ball and now they're in full season ball. You know, you'll see a couple succeed, but you also see a couple fall off. So which one's stick? I mean, uh, yeah, Brad, Broadband's been good. Um, Steel, tough, tough sights for him, <laughs> just just to talk about two of them. So, yeah, um, see how those guys do the rest of the year. 
Um, I'll get to mine and we have to mention him again, Daniel. I mean, we've already mentioned him once in this podcast, but we'll mention him again. Troy Johnston um, mentioned him probably on four of the six of these shows <laughs> that we've done, but that's how good he's been. I think he's been one of the best players with, in terms of consistency in the entire organization. As we said, Daniel, he starts hot in Jupiter, was a bit old for that level, gets the push up to single A advance with Beloit and doesn't fall off a single bit. He's just still hitting, still getting on base. And the biggest thing for me that I'm going to talk about is he's adding in power. So since joining the snappers, he leads the club in almost every offensive category and yeah, the power man never really had that in his game or in his profile to start his career. He's more of this easygoing hitter. He's not really, you know, with that violent bat speed. He just kind of, you know, a good swing, but, he, you know, it's more built for the doubles and the singles and the average. And then, of course, the great vision and that great hit tool that we talk about in overall plate presence of Troy Johnson. That's who he really is. But man, this week he adds in the power, man. Three homers. Maybe the first time in his playing career that he's ever hit three homers in the same week. That's huge, man. If he's adding in the power, like I said, it's really the only thing missing from his offensive skill set. What you don't like is that he did strike out 10 times this week. So like I said, with that great vision that he is known for, kind of sacrificed it a little bit this week for, for, the, for the homers. Obviously, you like to see the homers. But like I said, you hope he's not sacrificing that good plate vision that he has to tap into more power. So good to see the homers. Don't like to see the strikeouts. We'll see how he goes and builds off of this week. Definitely a guy to keep a both of your eyes on if you're following anything in this Marlins system. Keep an eye on Troy, man. He's been really good. Yeah, the, the guy had three home runs in all of 2019. I, I don't yeah. think it was all in the same week. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I'm very impressed. J- Johnston is, is your Audi, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to some extent, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of have my eye on him since the, the start of the year. I mean, you've been saying it since the beginning. Um, you know, I, I can witness um, – that you've been talking about him, you know, since, since the start of the season, even before, you know, when we're talking about our, our rankings, our top 100, you obviously, you just had him higher than I did. And little by little, I mean, he's been showing the whole organization what he's capable of. So, so it's definitely great to see. Uh, I love your, your Mark Kekis comp. Uh, he is showing more power though. So let's see if that Mark Kekis comp, um, yeah, definitely, man. You know, it gets um, even 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 better. Um, but I will definitely take freaking Marquez. <laughs> definitely. From him. Man. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. But, I mean, I, even going back to college, I was trying to dig into his college. But I don't even think he did it there with three homers in the same week. So, <laughs> you love it, man. Love to see it. Awesome. Love Troy Johnston. think he's going to be good if he keeps this up. Um, my second guy is, is Zach McCambly. Um, this is probably, like, one of the few pitching standouts, especially in the rotation the snappers this week um really good first two 11ths of the month to start his career daniel so i don't know maybe that's that's just his day <laughs> i mean he's been good in between but these first two um 11ths of the month with, with may 11th he goes seven shutout innings uh you know obviously really good and then on june 11th career high 10 k's and six innings of one run ball um, it gives him daniel listen to this a 49 to 4 strikeouts to walks ratio to start that's his crazy. career that's a 12.25 strikeouts to walk ratio that's best in the system, of course, and fourth best in all of minor league baseball. Just so impressive for a kid, like I said, just starting his career. This drafts class just keeps showing out on a weekly basis. We haven't gone on an episode without talking about one of them. Coming out of the draft, Daniel, the question mark around him was spotty command. <laughs> I think he's answered that question. What do you think? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Four Zach- walks in 37 innings. Come on. Yeah. That's I mean, crazy. of course, he lives off that amazing curveball. We always talk about 
that and how it's probably the best curveball in the system and up there with like Eater slider, Meyer slider, Meyer's fastball. I like Mitchell's changeup. We talked about that last show about one of the best pitches in the organization. It's definitely in the conversation. He can throw that thing for strikes no matter where it lands because of its ridiculous spin, good sharp downward break. Doesn't have like fiery fastball velocity, but it's, it's pretty good. He lives like 92, 94. I think I've seen him go up as high as like 95, 96. I think his biggest thing, like we talk about with a lot of these prospects, Daniel, is adding in the changeup. It was the main focus for him this spring, and he continues to build on that. He's quoted, I think, to Fish Stripes as saying that that's the pitch that will take him to the next level. Um, I think it was like a mix-in pitch for him in college. It's been pretty good from the little that I've gotten to see from it, Daniel, this year. Has a little bit of tunnel off the fastball. You'd like to see that. What that means, for those of you who don't know, is you know he can throw the fastball and then throw the changeup and then go back to another fastball and get a hitter to look at the pitch, even if it's right in the middle of the strike zone, just because of the different looks. So yeah, you, you like to see that, that, you know, it, it can kind of play off of the fastball and he can couple it because the fastball, although it's, it's pretty good, it does move a little bit. It doesn't have like that heavy velocity, right? Not normally at least. So yeah, uh, really good. And then of course he has that great out pitch curveball. So hard to be disappointed with anything that he's done so far, answering any questions about command, like we stated, starting to Im- implement that third pitch. Really excited about McCandley, man. I, I love him. Me too, man. He has been everything we'd hope he would be. Like to bring the, the the home runs a bit down a bit, um, he doesn't get hit much. But when he does, it's it is hard hit. But that's the only thing because everything else just looks elite. Yeah, definitely love McCambly. I mean, there were some questions about him maybe not sticking as a starter. <laughs> Can't argue with Forget what he's him. done so far. He looks every bit of starter. He's going deep in games. He's built up. Looks good, man. Like him. All right. Uh, Absolutely. We do you have one question here uh, okay. from our guys at Beloit Rockers. Um, after a great start to the season, Kyle Nicholas's last three starts have been subpar, averaging only three innings pitched with a 12 ERA, 12.00 ERA. Any particular issues you can point to there? Give this one to you, Alex. Yeah, I'll give it a try on this one. Again, it's a team that we haven't gotten to watch a lot just because they're not on MILB TV every game like most of these other teams. But I'll give it a try here just based off what we know from him and what little I've gotten to watch. Um, and we talked about it talked about it just now with, um, with McCambly and, and the third pitch and how he's gone in the right direction. I, I think um, Nicholas has, has gone in, in the opposite direction. I think he's kind of struggling to implement that third pitch. And then I really think he's struggling. We talked about questions with McCambly and his command coming out of the draft. Had the same thing with, um, with Nicholas. Um, fastball command is pretty good, but didn't really have an overall great feel for his slider. It's a good pitch because of how much it moves, but he kind of struggled a little bit with command, which leads to the fact that, you know, maybe he didn't have the best feel for the pitch. We did hear that from scouts and draft reports as well, that although it's really good, it breaks really good, it has good movement, all this other stuff. He struggles to command it at times. And I really think that that's the issue is command of the slider, number one, and failure to implement his changeup with number two, having to live off the fastball and having to challenge hitters with the fastball. Although the velo is really good on his 96, 97 mile per hour fastball, if you have to live off that pitch and you're not challenging with your other pitches, you're going to get hit. And I think that's kind of what you see from, from Kyle Nicholas. So what you hope for from him going forward is that he works out his command issues with the slider and starts to implement his changeup and build his changeup. Um, the first one he needs to get out of the way is the command of the slider. And then he can focus on, on that, uh, that change up. Definitely need to have two pitches. Can't just live off of one, no matter how good your reload is. So, yeah, I mean, um, can he stick as a starter? That's another great, great question to ask. There were questions about that 
again, because command lack of third pitch, as we said, um, it, it doesn't look great to start his career, but tons of time. He, he's still got a lot of time. So we'll see how he does. I'm excited to see how he comes back from this kind of adversity. Exactly. I mean, this is, this is how it works. He started out well, really well. The league adjusted to him and now he needs to adjust back. You know, it's as simple as that. Um, his K rate is still elite. It's better than McCambley's. It's 13.34 strikeouts per nine innings. That's really, really good. Um, but he's just getting hit hard. He's walking too much. Um, he has been a bit unlucky with a 354 BABIP. Uh, you know, his, his ERA is at 5.72, but the XFIP expected fielding independent pitching is at 3.91. So there is a, a bit of, um, you know, un, you know, he's a, a bit unlucky, and the ground ball rate percentage is also pretty low at 35.2. So you'd also like to see that come up. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, a lot of things to be happy about, but he just needs to adjust. It's it's as simple as that. We know he has the stuff to do it. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree. Uh, great question there, though, on Nicholas. A fun one to dig into. Um, I mean, you know, these guys that, that are coming out of that draft, we, we've seen a, most of them do very well. Nicholas has, has definitely been good, as Daniel just mentioned. But, um, yeah, some, some, some points of concern, but we're definitely not worried yet. You know, it's a guy that, that just came out of a draft, and, you know, he's, he's going to have his, his ups and downs, ebbs and flows. All of these guys are. We're, we're going to see it. So, yeah, good question. Uh, thanks for that, Beloit Rogers. Uh, we'll go on, though. Um, we'll go up double-A Pensacola. Uh, they go three and three. They have a negative nine run differential. Like the Hammerheads, again, they have a blowout loss to account for, for most of that differential. Up next, they'll go uh, back home to take on the Montgomery Biscuits and that fantastic uh, Tampa Bay Rays system. So we'll get to our guys here. Uh, Danny, you want to go first? Yeah, definitely. I, I hate, like, my my ego was, was burst that we, you know, we pretty much lost the two the two big duels <laughs> this last week between Meyer, Meyer eater versus Hunter green yeah. and um, uh, Lodolo. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, that wasn't fun. Um, my two guys are Demetrius Sims and, and Dylan Bice. Um, um, Sims had a, he had a nice week, 364 average with a 391 OBP um, two doubles sprinkled in there. He only has a 6, 602 OPS for the season, so he needs to continue building off of this. Um, he was injured for a couple weeks last month. For those that don't know, Sims is a glove-first infielder, although he did have a solid 2019 season between um, single-A Clinton and high Jupiter at, th at that time. You know, that, that's the levels at that time for those two teams. Um, he had a really good season in, in that year with a 132 uh, WRC+. Plus. He just came out of nowhere last year and moved up a bit in our list. Um, he's getting up there in age, though. He will turn 26 in July. So hopefully he keeps improving moving forward because you know, he won't have too many opportunities. Um, and my other guy is Dylan Bice. I think it's time to give this guy some love. He has been doing so well this season as a reliever. Picked up in the minor league portion of the Rule 5 draft in 2020. He missed almost two years with an injury between 2018 and 2019. So he just, he hasn't really had a full season in the minors, um, even though he was drafted back in 2016. In 2021, he started in Beloit, but did so well that he was promoted to, to double A immediately. And he, he hasn't really, 
taking his his uh his foot off the gas since then last week he pitched three innings without giving up a run only one hit and one walk while striking out six for the season between both levels he now has a 10.18 k per nine 1.04 whip and a 2.66 era um along with hawk who i know you're going to talk about tyler stevens and gunther before he was promoted to triple a these guys have this Pensacola bullpen just locked down. Yeah, definitely agree. I mean, that bullpen's super good with Hawk, Bice, you know, Stevens, as you mentioned. That's that's a really really good bullpen, and all behind some, some solid starting pitching, right? Meyer, Eater, you know, like what you're seeing from other guys uh, as well in in that uh, in that fold over there with with Pensacola. So a really good pitching staff uh, for them. Uh, yeah, so uh, excited about about them, and yeah. Really good. Uh, Sims as well, just to mention really quick, um, a guy that garnered the ability to even work at, at third base. We saw him with the Marlins in spring training working at third base and, and per Don Manningly, they have eligibility for him at every infield position except for first base. So yeah, some nice versatility to see from, from our friend Demetrius Sims. Uh, I think he's going to be a, a quality player like his bat. All right. Uh, I'll guess I'll get to mine. And my first one is, is Gerard. Uh, six for 22 this week, Jarrah Encarnacion, of course, six for 22 this week with much of that damage coming in a two homer game on Sunday, believe it or not with how big this guy's power is. That's the first multi home run game of his career. Daniel, I've mentioned this on, on previous shows and it's the biggest thing for for his development, garnering the ability to go to his opposite field, continue to show that this week, both of those homers in that two homer game that I mentioned, they go oppo taco, bro. So yeah, it's just simple, simple opposite field power too, which is what you love to see. You know, he's not forcing it. He's just coming by it pretty naturally. And all after he really didn't have that ability to do so previously in his career. So obviously he figured something out and found that ability and it's huge. Looks so much better in terms of posture, staying back on the baseball and more than anything, just not pulling off. Whereas previously, you know, he would swing the bat, you would see his head fly up, his shoulders open up. You know, it just, just wasn't built for anything other than pull power. And now he's showing that ability to stay closed. As I said, the posture, keeping the head down, staying through the baseball. Really, really great to see. Get to the numbers. Apple percentage sitting right around 44 to 45%, Daniel. Excluding a 14-game stint to start his career, I believe, uh, overseas in Dominican. Uh, he's never been at that mark above 40%. He's always been like around that 25 to 30% mark. Maybe even 35 was the highest. So yeah, again, just can't say enough about that ability to go opposite field. Uh, for his development as, as a hitter. Uh, what you don't like, still striking out a ton. Um, that will always be a big part of Gerard's game. It's just it's just part of who he is. But he's also kept his average pretty good. So um, even though he's striking out a lot more than you would like to see, average has stagnated. It's around like, like 250 all year. His walk rate's up too. It was previously uh, at 12%. It's come down a little. It's at 11. While you do want to see that K rate come back down for sure, because uh, 40%, man, <coughs> even for a slugger, that's a little high, man. Right. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I want to see it come back down to like where he was previously, you know, in that, in that uh, 25, 26 range would be awesome. 30% range you can live with 40%. It's that's tough. I mean, especially when you're doing it in, in double a, he's got to still skip triple a and then big league guys, they're, they're going to take advantage of that as we mentioned. But anyways, um, the, the short story of that, the huge development of him going opposite field, keeping the average up, walking a little bit more, got to see the K's come down but really love what we're seeing from Gerard overall and his 120 WRC plus. I agree. I absolutely agree. Uh, it's, um, very promising. Uh, he, I do feel he, he can 
bring that K percentage down. I was really um, impressed and hopeful with the 2019 season, um, even in high A, which is a, as we mentioned before, a pitcher's league, 26% K rate. Like if he can stay there, which is 10 points, like full 10 points below where he is right now, I'd even take 30%. Um, that would be huge. I mean, 26% for a power hitter is it's, it's good. It's fine. Um, so I think he, he can, you know, I really want to see him bring that down. But as you said, the walk percentage is also going up. So really good to hear. By the way, four stolen bases. <laughs> Where did yeah, that come totally. from? <laughs> no idea. <laughs> but love to see it, man. I mean, yeah, everything that we just said, huge. Got to see the case come down a little bit, to, you know, to be um, – to be a livable range for him. I, I think they will, you know, the, the walk rate is definitely promising. And then again, his ability to, to go to every field now is, is, is awesome. So yeah, love what we're seeing from, from Gerard and Carnacion. My other guy, we mentioned him already. Um, it's the back end of this bullpen again with, with Colton Hawk, very effective for the Wahoos as their primary closer this season. And this past week was no exception. He goes 1.2 innings, picks up both saves, runs his scoreless innings streak uh, to six games and to 5.2 innings pitched. He hasn't given up a run, Daniel, since May 21st, and he's converted nine of 10 save ops, giving him the second most saves in all of minor league baseball, tied for the second most saves. There's only one guy above him. So yeah, man, really love to see those kind of results. Um, who is he? He's not really your, your prototypical overpowering closer. He can pump that heat up to like 95, 96, maybe 97. I think we've seen him touch or get near, but he's more in that 92 to 94 range. That's, you know, sounds average, but it's kind of ticked up a little bit from where he was in previous years when he was a bit lower, like sitting 91, 92 down to 90. So yeah, um, pretty good. Uh, like to see the velo ticked up a little bit. Best secondary, um, a hard biting curveball. Sits like 78, 80. Good shape to that pitch. Nice drop. Good spin rate on it. Can get whiff with it. Can also mix in a changeup for a different look. Kind of like nice little wrinkle pitch with a changeup. Doesn't use it much, but you know, he'll throw it for, for a change of pace. So yeah, a, a three pitch dude out of the bullpen and all three pitches are usable. Fastball curve being the primary, like I said, he mixes in the changeup. So yeah, whiffs have come at a much, much higher rate this year compared to years previous for him, Daniel. Already 23 strikeouts in 18.1 innings at the highest level he's ever played at. He had 47 strikeouts in 51.1 innings pitched in 2019 and 77 in 91 innings in 2018. I would attribute those uh, those more Ks or the, the, addition, the addition of strikeouts to the uptick in velocity, like I said, and the more usable changeup, I think he's kind of built that pitch a little bit up from where it was previously. It was more just like a, a show-me pitch. Now he can mix it in a little bit better, like I said. He's been really good, man. I think he goes right after hitters. Confident guy with a good mentality. Looks the part on the mound, man. I, I really like Colton Hawk as a future back-end guy. I agree. Um, at least a solid middle reliever. As I mentioned before, I'm really liking what I'm seeing from 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 these these three relievers plus Gunther at the double A level. And the, these guys also had Maldonado, who is I really have still have as as a possible high leverage guy for, for Miami moving forward. Obviously he got injured uh, biceps. Um, but it's really promising. Uh, I'm liking what I'm seeing from again Hawk, Bice, Gunther, and um, am I missing? Stevens, Tyler Stevens. Uh, Stevens. Yeah. 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 Just, just to mention it really quick. Um, the last of those two saves that, that I talked about with, with Colton Hawk picking it up in that game, it was the Sunday game, uh, the last game of the series between Brandon Liebrand, who's a starter, Dylan Bice, who you talked about, Daniel, Andrew Bellotti, who's a newer uh, free agent signing and Colton Hawk. They didn't give up a hit. 
<laughs> they had a no hitter in the ninth inning. I mean, the only reason that that Hawk got in that game was because of the struggles of Ryan McKenna, who gave up three runs in 0.1 innings pitch. But then Hawk comes in and, and just shuts it down and the game ends 4-3. So, yeah, man, just just a, a testament to how good that most of that pitching staff has been. This That was a, a really good start for, for Lee Brand, by the way. He struggled a lot this year, but a really good good sign on a separate note to see him go six shutout innings on no hits. But yeah, man, just, just back to that bullpen. It's been, it's been solid, man. Really like what we're seeing from that, that entire Pensacola staff uh, between most of their starters and then the bullpen, of course, too. All right. Sure. Um, we'll go on to our, our last level, triple a uh, the Jacksonville jumbo shrimp. They go two and three. They did have a game rained out. So that's the reason for, for five games It's scheduled for later this year, rescheduled for later this year. Uh, they have a negative 12 run differential against the Norfolk tides. They'll go back next on the road to Charlotte to take on the White Sox organization. Daniel, I know there wasn't a lot of bright spots here. Um, both of our guys are middle infield, infielders, I believe, but I'll let you go first. Yeah, well, I mean, the Shrimp are currently suffering with their roster. As a big league team suffers, so does the AAA team, unfortunately. Um, anytime they need to fill up a hole, they need to send someone over. Like, even if it's the Maderos and Moreros and Morimondos, I mean... They're, they're struggling and they're signing guys also left and right to fill those holes. But yeah, um, you know, Nider went up, he's injured. Um, you know, Braxton Garrett is up. Lewin is up. Uh, Devers is up. So they're, they're really struggling. Monty Harrison as well. Um, he's, he didn't go up, but he's injured. So, um, so yeah, as you mentioned, not much to pick from. I only have one guy for this week. It's, it's Bryson Brigman. Um, we've been waiting for, for Brigman for a while now since he, you know, since we traded for him, he hasn't really shown much the last couple, you know, the last year. So it's good to see him have these awesome weeks, 454 average, 478 OBP, uh, two doubles and two triples as well. Um, it would be extremely important for the Marlins if Brigman can show some solid results with the bat. God knows the Marlins need good infielders ready for the bigs right now because um, it's, it's tough. It's tough, especially now with Devers going down. Brigman's one of those guys um, with average tools all around. Very little home run power, but definitely has enough pop to find the gaps. 14% career K rate before the season began. So yeah, he makes a lot of contact, but not very hard contact. He's a really, really good defender um, at second base. He can also handle third base, shortstop if needed. He's played, I believe, nine, nine games at shortstop this season. Um, he had a really good 2018 uh, season with a 113 WRC+. That was the, the year he was traded to us for, for Cameron Mabin, I believe. But struggled and disappointed in 2019 between high A and double A. He actually got demoted from double A to, to high A that season. So it's definitely a good sign to see him hitting well at, at the highest possible level. Um, some may be wondering why he wasn't called up with, with uh, Devers going to the IL. Uh, there are reports that Marrero is, is getting the call instead. The reason I think is that with Rojas coming back, probably by the end of the week, whoever is called up may need to be DFA'd in a short while. So ironically, the reason, and again, it's, it's, it's these, uh, what, um, Alex and I were talking about to begin the, the, the podcast. Um, ironically, the reason that he wasn't called up is that they're actually higher on him than on Marrero. You know, they know that Marrero will probably not be claimed on waivers while Brigman probably would. So, so they're not risking it. 
Yep, exactly right. Um, they're protecting Brigman a little bit because he's younger and because they don't want to risk losing him for nothing because Miguel Rojas is probably going to be back and probably later this week, I would say, Daniel with the Marlins. So yeah, they have an off day mixed in too. He can kind of use that as well. So yeah, I think this is going to be a short stint for, for Marrero in the, in the big leagues. And I think he will be DFA, as you said, but he's, he's going to be my guy, Daniel. I want to talk about him and just give maybe some more insight into how his season has started and, and what we can expect if he does get into some big league action for those of us who of course watched the Marlins and the big league club. Uh, so yeah, uh, Devin Marrero, um, really good start to June. He goes seven for 14. He had a two homer game, which is not like him at all. He did have a bunch of homers in the, the PCL in, in 2019, but I think you can attribute most of that to, you know, Babbitt block and, and ballparks probably um, not really known as a, as a power first hitter. So to see him have a two homer game was, was really good. He also provided a walk-off hit in a wild game on Saturday. That was a really fun game to watch. I know our buddy Scott Kornberg with the um, Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp, he was talking about it on their broadcast. Just a really, really wild game. It ended on, on a good note, of course, with that Marrero walk-off. Uh, so, yeah, really, really good. Um, in that game, by the way, these Shrimp, they score two in the ninth, the tie. They fall behind again in the tenth, and then Marrero with the walk-off single. So it's just a, a really nice ending to that game. Uh, entertaining for the fans that were back in attendance at full capacity, by the way, <laughs> with the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. Uh, Devin, back to him. He's been around for a while. He's skipped around between a few different organizations since uh, he joined the league in 2012. Mostly stuck with Boston, who drafted him, before going to Arizona. Funny career path here. Before going to Arizona for a little while with the D-backs, he played college ball in Arizona. And now he's back in Miami, and he was actually born here in Miami, and he's a South Florida native. Um, he went to American Heritage High School, which if you're from South Florida, you know that that's baseball factory of the universe. If you're talking about players coming out of um, – coming out of South Florida, that, and a few other schools as well, but them definitely uh, a big baseball school down here in South Florida. Um, traditionally, like I said, not really known for a ton of power. He's more that, that hack and slash type of hitter. Uh, last two years though, like I said, come, come by some power. He mentioned the PCL power. And then this year already, like I said, uh, three homers, including that two homer game and three doubles uh, come up for some big spot, come up at some bid spots for the uh, Jacksonville Sh jumbo shrimp tons of K's in 2019, Daniel, not too many this season, so he's made pretty consistent contact. The thing that can waver with him is the quality of contact, but he's found the good part of the bat consistently lately. So yeah, uh, plays all over the field. We've seen him play a bunch of different positions this year, plays every infield position, including first base. As I said, you're probably looking at a, a limited stay with, with Miggy on the, on the mend and on the way back. But yeah, as we already mentioned with the DFA process and everything, you don't want to risk losing Brigman. So that's why you see him. And Daniel, as we mentioned at the start of the show, these are the guys that you want to see the Marlins going to rather than top prospects. I know they're forced into it now because there's really nobody else, but these are the guys that I would have wanted to see come up first in place of Devers, Laywin, these developing prospects. If you can avoid that, the Marlins should be avoiding that. So this is a welcome sight to see. No knock at all on Devin Marrero. I think he could contribute as a bench piece for the Marlins. But man, these are the guys, these lower level guys, these lower risk prospects, these lower risk you know, career minor league guys, even that, that are just here to fill gaps and come up in these spots. That's what you want to see come up instead of, um, instead of the top prospects. So a welcome sight for me. I agree. All right. So I think that's all we have on our levels. I know we did have a couple of other questions to get to before we go. So Daniel, I think you have the questions as always. I'll let you go ahead. All right. Uh, good friend, Eli Sussman at real Eli. He, uh, he put us to research, man. <laughs> definitely <laughs> definitely these are awesome questions from Eli uh, whenever you record the next pod 
I'd like a check-in on prospects that the Marlins have traded away over the last 12 months. Anybody they might really regret parting with? What do you think, Alex? Look at at Eli jumping the gun. Before I even put out the question post, he's already got a question. What a guy. (laughs) What (laughs) a guy. That's awesome. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I, I guess we could go through a few. Um, that that we've that we've uh, given up in, in trades recently. One was a guy that I really liked with Alex Vesia, who was a member of the Dylan Floro trade. Um, he was with the Dodgers, and Daniel, that did not go well. <laughs> um, unfortunately for our friend Alex, a 5.91 ERA and 10.2 innings pitched. He's since gotten sent back to AAA. Um, important to know on Alex, he was pushed very hard by the Marlins. Right out of college, he pitched at three different mm-hmm. levels in his draft year, all the way up to AA. He had that really awesome 40 inning scoreless streak. So why not challenge him and why not push him? You know, he was a later round draft pick. You know, the Marlins said, why not? Let's, let's challenge this kid. And he responded well, um, was asked to come up in the COVID year and, and contribute to the Marlins. You know, it's kind of catching up with him, I think now. And I think he's kind of struggling. He's going to need to gain some seasoning in AAA. What do you think on Alex? He did dominate us, of course, the inning he had against us. <laughs> um. Yeah, I would say this trade, like for, for, for Eli's second question, like who we may regret parting with, like I'm not seeing like a home run answer, which is great. That's, that's good from, from, from our, you know, Marlins front office that there's not one guy that I'm thinking like, oh my God, you know, this is going to hurt like Gallon, you know. Um, but I think it, it's going to come out of this trade, whether it's, it's um, Vesia. And he, I, I do expect him to to be better. And this is just small sample size to start this season. Um, it's going to be Vestia or the other piece that went for Floro, um, which is uh, uh, Kyle Hurt, who we picked up in, at the um, uh, draft. You know, the amazing 2020 draft. If we drafted him, he's probably going to be good. Um, but then again, we did trade him away, so who knows? Yeah. Uh, so I think it's going to be it's going to be one of those two, even though Hurt hasn't hasn't played at all this season. Exactly. That that's that's the oddity to this trade. Kyle Hurt, he's 23 years old. It's hard to believe that he he hasn't played for the Dodgers yet. Like they, he's he's active per his MILB uh, page. I don't think he's injured, but man, it's it's hard to believe that that he's 23 years old and they're going to send him to, to short season ball. Like I, I, that's, that's tough for me to believe. So there, there's probably something going on behind the scenes there that we don't know about, but yeah, I, I think you're, you're probably right. in in things that we gave up in the off season, um, this one could come back to bite the Marlins, either if it's Vesia or, or Kyle hurt um, we'll see, but um, it hasn't been great for, for Vesia. And then we haven't seen anything from Kyle. So we'll see. In the meantime, Floro, um, I mean, he had that one outing where he gave up like five runs and blew a save, which was bad. Um, he had another early in the season where I think he blew another save. But other than that, he, he's been okay. Um, 2.72 FIP, 0.79 whip. So pretty solid despite a few a few bad moments. Um, as we said, I, I think Vesia could still develop into a solid reliever. His changeup, which, which has been his best pitch, is so good, man, if, if, he's, if he's commanding and controlling it. Who knows what's up with her? Uh, who won this trade? Like we said, I, I think it's up in the air. Um, you know, I think right now you have to say the Marlins won it just based off of Vesey's struggles and nothing from Kyle Hurt. But, you know, that could change. So we'll see. Especially um, coming out of a floor of blown save yesterday or blown hold. Yeah. Um, yeah he's, he's that one hurt. Where he, he had an amazing first month. Not so great. Second month, he's still, his overall results are still really good. But he has to, he has to fix whatever needs to be fixed. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I said, he's had his moments where he struggled, but overall, I mean, you look at his numbers, you know, it's been, it's been pretty okay overall, but yeah, he's definitely um, not been perfect. We'll we'll put it lightly. Um, Yeah. uh, Another guy. Do we have? Yeah. Yeah. Another guy that that came to mind when this question was asked to me was Evan Edwards. Um, Yeah. The Marlins traded from what little they have in terms of first base prospect depth for John Curtis to the Tampa Bay Rays organization. I don't like trading with the Rays in the first place. And then we trade from a thin position. So when this trade happened, I was like, uh, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I like what Curtis did. You like it that he has the World Series experience and, and everything like that. You know, and, but yeah, man, losing Edwards, who's a position that the Marlins just don't have a lot at, what was tough. What's Edwards done? He's hitting 200, 325, 316. He's in single advanced with, I believe, the Bowling Green Hot Rods. Um, does have three homers. That's, that's obviously his best tool is, is the power. It looks like he's worked on his patience a little bit, Daniel. His walk rate at, at 13% was around 10% um, in his first season with the Marlins. So a, a good step there. Seems like his consistency of contact is down though. So some questions for him to answer. And he's 23 years old playing at single advance. Um, you know, so yeah, that could go either way. Curtis is, is another guy. He's had his moments, but he's been pretty decent out of the Marlins bullpen. Edwards could still develop, especially in that awesome raised system. But so far, I think this is probably a W for the Marlins. What do you think? I agree. Uh, w for the Marlins. Yeah, um, I'll get to one more really quickly. Um, Jordan Yamamoto. Um, he had a relief appearance early in the year and then made that start against the Marlins in which we put five runs on him. Only two were earned, but it's still five runs. Um, <laughs> was not good in that start, barely reaching 90 command problems that we've gotten to know from him. We're still uh, clear and present. Um, he was removed from that start actually after four innings and subsequently placed on the IL with a shoulder issue has since gone to the 60 day DL. So unfortunately for our old friend, Jordan, um, dealing with something there and it, per reports, he's out until mid July, the return was Frederico Polanco good in May showing a really nice mix of power and speed. He's kind of cooled off a little bit this month. He's hitting just 186 in June, but he's turned just turned 20 years old, has some nice tools to him, plucked him for the Mets for yams. Who's obviously having uh, some issues. Big win for the Marlins. And the Marlins did the same thing with, with Austin Dean, for whom they got back Dial Burgos, who's also shown some, some flashes for a 20-year-old kid. So yeah. I like both of those. Yeah, obviously, Yamoto, not a prospect or a, or a trade. But, well, I mean, it is a trade, but not a prospect. Um, but, but definitely always fun to check in on our guy, Yams. Um, you want to know who's doing relatively well? Chad Smith. You remember Chad Smith? We traded him for Jesus Tinoco. Um, who we DFA'd a few weeks later <laughs> and isn't doing great. Tanago isn't, but uh, Chad Smith is doing well at AAA level, 13 innings pitched, um, 10.38 K per nine, 1.23 whip. It's not, it's not a, you know, crazy, crazy good, but you know, it's worth mentioning. We, we traded him for Tinoco. I, this is one we clearly lost because we traded him for Tinoco to the Rockies and then DFA Tinoco and guess who claimed him? The Rockies. So the Rockies ended up with both Tinoco and Chad Smith. Um, that was, you know, that was uh, needed because of the COVID <clears throat> outbreak and all the roster problems we had last season. But I was still pretty kind of bummed we we DFA Tinoco. He looked good, but isn't looking too good in AAA. So didn't hurt too much. Uh, other guys, Julio Frias was a third piece for the Starling Marte. He's doing okay at high A. The other guy we should mention here is Umberto Mejia. 
um, who was the second piece of the of the Marte trade. He he got promoted from Double A AA to Triple A a few weeks ago and got shelled. ERA and WHIP don't look great, but Caper Nine does at 10.50. Um, I feel we really killed Arizona with that trade. Caleb Smith was was piece number piece number one. So th- those are other names you know we we've also wanted to mention here. Um, so thanks for the question, Eli. As always, put us to work. Then. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And last question is from at exiled underscore X, who are five people, five players, other than Griffin Conine and Jesus Sanchez, that you guys feel deserve or will soon deserve promotions. Um, all right, so I got my five guys. Um, I got Zach McCambly doing amazingly. By the way, that, that five guys that I feel deserve uh, a promotion doesn't mean that I, I would promote them because it's still important to just keep them there for a while. But if it's just stats, um, Zach McCambly, Thomas Jones, also at Beloit, Nick Fortes, the AA is doing so well. Um, Bryson Brigman, AAA probably deserves a, a call up to the majors with everybody injured. And uh, Tyler Stevens, he's, you know, as we mentioned before, reliever for AA, who currently has a 1.84 ERA, 0.95 whip, and 12.89 K per nine. He, um, he definitely deserves a, a promotion. Yeah, I, I guess I can add in. I can add in a couple. Uh, we talked about Colton Hawk. Um, definitely, if he keeps going like this, he deserves uh, the promotion up up to AAA when things start moving a little bit more. Um, another one to mention. Definitely agree on on Thomas Jones. I think he definitely deserves the promotion. Gerard, who we talked about, if he keeps hitting like this and showing that awful power, he's going to deserve a call up. Um, who else? Uh, it gets kind of sticky after that. Um, you know, you got a lot of 200 batting averages down in the minors right now. You know, guys feeling things out. Uh, definitely agree with Nick Fortes. Think he could be a mover. Uh, so, yeah, I think those are, are your main guys, the ones that, that Daniel mentioned. Um, yeah, so uh, we'll see how they go. I mean, honestly, the basis of this question is who do we think deserves it, not necessarily who we think they're going to call up. So, but yeah, guys that have performed well that, that are looking like they deserve call-ups are, are those guys that we just mentioned. The five guys that Daniel mentioned and then a the couple throw-ins. So a good question there. All right, so I think that's all we have for episode 22 of Swimming Upstream and our sixth in our weekly recap series. We'll be doing this all season. Uh, next week, what's coming up next week on Fish on the Farm and on the podcast? Uh, next week, uh, before our Monday pod, we will have a very special guest joining us on the show from the Pensacola Blue Wahoos. It's going to be Chris Garagiola. He is their awesome play-by-play announcer and a member of their front office. We're really excited to get to talk to Chris about his first impressions of this Marlins organization, what he thinks about some of the players that he's just now getting to know. Going to be great to get some awesome insight from him. And then we'll be back on Monday with our next recap, which will be the seventh. So I think that's going to do it for today though. Thank you so much for all of the awesome, awesome, awesome questions that you guys send in. If we didn't get to your question, we apologize, but keep sending them in. As we always say, we will try to get to as many as we can in our hour show. Daniel, any last words from you? I never say this guys, but but thank you so much for <clears throat> encouraging messages, for interacting with us. Um, if any help you can give us with comments, subscriptions, um, anywhere you can, you, you can listen to this podcast, uh, we would really appreciate it. Uh, it's something we're really passionate about. And um, please review and subscribe. Definitely. Definitely. Again, guys, thanks so much for all of the Awesome input, all the awesome questions, all the listens, all the time. We really, really do appreciate it. We will see you guys next week for two podcasts. 
So for Alex and Daniel for now, that will do it for Swimming Upstream. We'll see you guys next week.